signal. I just don't know if we're going to get that or not. And what about earnings? We have had quite reasonable earnings, haven't we, out of out of China. The market's trading on about 14 times forward earnings now, which I suppose is not cheap by Chinese standards, but it is very cheap by global standards. Is that going to help support the markets? I think I think by global standards, it's very cheap. Um, I think, though, the average retail investor in China is not really paying much attention to P/E ratios. And if you look at institutional investors, I think they're they're thinking a lot more about how they handle you know global portfolio risk. And so they're also just being cautious right now because of China-U.S. trade tensions. They're still waiting to see what happens with the Biden administration and how they handle China. So there are just all these these question marks right now, which which haven't been answered. But I think once those questions start getting answered, um, whether the answer is good or bad, you'll probably see more interest coming back in um, because uh, funds need to diversify. Ben, thanks very much indeed. Talk to you again soon. That's Ben Cavender, Principal at the China Market Research Group up in Shanghai. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And just a reminder that markets on the mainland are closed for the first three days of this week. Similar story in Japan, where they reopen on Thursday. Uh, futures markets indicating a flat open uh, for the Hang Seng. And right now the ASX 200 in Australia is up about two thirds of a percent. In the commodities markets, gold is flat at $1,769 an ounce. Uh, Brent crude oil is trading firmer, $67.10 a barrel. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Back chats coming up in a moment with Danny Gittings and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy with a few showers. Maximum temperature is going to be about 27 degrees and the outlook is for sunny periods in the next couple of days with a few showers. It's 24 degrees right now, 92% relative humidity. It's 8.32, Samantha Butler has the half-hour news. Officials have admitted that COVID-19 testing capacity is under pressure after tens of thousands of people submitted samples at the weekend. By six o'clock last night, labs had processed less than half of the record 113,000 tests submitted on Saturday. There were long queues again yesterday as many of the SAR's 370,000 foreign helpers used their rest day to take a mandatory test in time for a deadline next Sunday. More international aid is being flown to India as it battles to contain a devastating wave of coronavirus infections. Britain has announced it will dispatch a further 1,000 ventilators in addition to 200 already sent. The United States has deployed a third plane load of supplies, including oxygen cylinders. Yesterday, India registered a slight fall in new infections, but the number of deaths rose to a record level for the country. Dozens of cities across Brazil have been forced to stop giving people a second dose of coronavirus vaccine because of severe shortages. At least six state capitals, including Rio de Janeiro, have been affected. The health minister has blamed his predecessor. He said he allowed too many people to receive the first dose without having enough stocks for a follow-up. The White House has denied reports that it struck a deal with Iran on a prisoner swap. An Iranian official told State TV the U.S. had agreed to free four detained Iranians and unfreeze billions of dollars of Tehran's assets in exchange for the release of four Americans jailed in Iran. Speaking to the U.S. network CBS, the White House chief of staff Ron Klain said there was no such agreement. I can tell you, unfortunately, that report is untrue. There is no agreement to release these four Americans. We're working very hard to get them released. We raise this with Iran and our interlocutors all the time. Uh, but so far, there's no agreement to bring these four Americans home. 
Britain has also denied reports of a parallel deal for Iran to release a British-Iranian woman, Nazanin Zaghari-Ratcliffe, in exchange for the payment of a large debt Britain owes Iran. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your co-host this morning is the newly vaccinated Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Danny. And still fighting fit. On today's Back Chat, we'll be asking, is Hong Kong at risk of a fifth wave of COVID-19 following the discovery of several cases of the South African mutant strain, which is at least 50% more infectious than the original version of the virus? Health experts say they don't know how the mutated strain got out into the community and they fear they could be silent carriers, raising the possibility of further infections. So just how serious is the situation? How effective are vaccines against the South African strain? What about the government's controversial order for all foreign domestic helpers to be tested and in due course vaccinated as well? And what do you think of the new dining bubble arrangements for bars and restaurants, which got off to a slow start this weekend? Let us know your thoughts. You can, e- you can leave a comment on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Or you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or give us a call on 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Joining us on the show this morning, we have Benjamin Cowling, the head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health, the University of Hong Kong, and Dr. Alvin Chan. Dr. Chan is the co-chair of Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases of the Hong Kong Medical Association. Uh, good morning, uh, Ben Cowling. Let's go to you first. Um, what, what do you make of the current... I mean, I think there were references by the government, weren't they? They said they thought the situation is critical. We have um, a couple of cases of the South African mutant strain, and there's, there's no Connect, doesn't appear to be any connection in common, which suggests that somebody is out there spreading it in the community, aren't they? Yeah, one of the things we've seen in the last year is that COVID spread t- tends to spread in fits and spurts. So what I mean is sometimes you'll see like a lot of cases very quickly and other times it'll just peter out naturally. That's the super spreading phenomenon for COVID. So what I'm wondering is whether there have been a, maybe a larger number of infections with the South African variant, and we're just seeing two or three of those right now. There could be others that we're going to discover in due course. If we're lucky, it may just peter out. But if we're unlucky, there may have already been a super-spreading event that we're not aware of, and that means we're going to see more cases in the coming days and weeks. Why aren't they coming at the same time, though? I mean, why why you get this domestic... Surely, if um, it does seem to have started with the person who returned... The working theory is it started with the person who returned from Dubai, right? How, how he caught it. Um, I, if yeah, I think else... he, he may have got it in the hotel. Yes. And then, so he's got it. He's been in the community, maybe passed to other people, and now we're seeing second or even a third generation after that. Third generation. Could be, could be. That means the there's several... Could be just a few days, um, three, four, five, five days in some cases. Right. So it could be multiple generations. Several people um, in between... And that between, means there's, there's yeah. other cases that we've missed. Several people between him and, and the latest case that we found. So it's they, quite possible. Quite a few that we don't know so about. So why, why are we just seeing this one uh, domestic helper? I mean, surely there, if this was spreading, there should, there should be other cases coming up at the same time. Right, but most cases of COVID are very mild. Quite often, if we weren't testing people, like the close contacts of known cases, if we weren't testing them, we wouldn't know that they got infected because they don't have any symptoms or they've got very, very mild symptoms. At the same time, some people with more 
significant symptoms, maybe don't go to see a doctor, don't get tested. If they do go and see a doctor, sometimes the doctor uh, won't test them anyway or, or there won't be the, the, the arrangements to get them tested. Uh, so that's one of the possibilities. In the past year, my own estimate from my own research is that we've picked up maybe 20 to 25% of all the infections in Hong Kong as confirmed cases. So we've had 11,000 cases, most likely 40, 50,000 infections. Some of them have not been picked up because we, we haven't done the test at the right time in the right people. That's okay, though. That's okay, though, because we can still stop the spread as long as we pick up a sufficient fraction of cases and we do the social distancing right. when we need to. So the testing that we're doing is, is good-ish uh, in the sense it's picking up a reasonable percentage. We put a lot of emphasis on testing and we're doing it quite well. We don't seem to be putting the same emphasis on vaccination. Yeah, I'm concerned that the vaccination rate is still relatively low. It's chugging along, but it, it, we, we could certainly speed up. I think the government said they could do 50,000 a day at maximum capacity, and we're not getting near to that yet, which means this whole pandemic in, is going to take longer in Hong Kong. We, we're going to take longer to come out the other end. Right, because the things that we do are doing well are buying us time. But if we're not <laughs> using that time to vaccinate, <laughs> there's no end. That's right. So uh, the status quo is, in a, in a way, sustainable. We could be doing this for another year or longer, but I don't think we want to. I think we would probably like to get out the other end uh, and go back to normal, but that's going to require a high vaccine uptake because until then we're at, we're at risk of what's happening in, in India right now. We're at risk of what's happened in other parts of the world in the past year of suddenly a lot of cases and not enough uh, capacity in the healthcare system to take care of them. Now, when you were on the show before, um, you said that you didn't think vaccinated people should be given any exemption from quarantine. But from what I've been seeing on Twitter, you, you've changed your tune on that since. Yeah, I, so, so probably a, a couple of months ago, three months ago, I, was, I, I, I did say that I think we, we better be careful about relaxing restrictions for vaccinated people. When vaccines are not available for everybody, it's like um, if, you, if you allow vaccinated people a special exemption it may increase the risk for the other people who maybe haven't yet had a chance to get vaccinated. But right now, the reason I've changed my, uh, changed my thinking is because now in Hong Kong, every adult does have the chance to get vaccinated. They can sign up any time. And so that's a different scenario. Right. So I, I, I do think that now it would be quite fair and reasonable to exempt vaccinated people uh, from quarantines, on arrival quarantines. Exempt um, altogether. Exempt, all exempt them from the, from the building lockdowns, from the mandatory testing orders, etc. And that, that's not to say that vaccinated people are zero risk, but they are much lower risk to get infected. So I, I give an example on Twitter that the, the, the Tung Chung, the Caribbean coast block, with up to a 1,000 people inside, a vaccinated person in there has probably a 20 times lower risk of, of actually being infected than anybody else. And the most likely number of infections in that entire block is probably zero, maybe right. one. And the reason for doing the lockdown is in case there's one, because if you don't lock down, then that one could turn into two and then four and then, and then so right. on. Away we go. But, but that case is, is very, very unlikely to be in a vaccinated person. So exempting vaccinated people from that lockdown, I think, would have been reasonable. Do we need more carrots and more sticks? Some of each? I, I like the idea of carrots more than sticks. Um, I was a little bit surprised to see that vaccination is already essentially mandatory for, for workers in bars and, workers, uh, and the foreign domestic helpers. Not exactly mandatory, but, but, but almost mandatory. Strongly pressed, and, yes. 
Yes, and so I, I wonder whether that may even expand in the coming days or weeks. I think. Yes, why not? Make, I, why not make it mandatory for the employers of their domestic helpers? Yes, so well, my, there's a lot of groups that, that could be made mandatory. I, I think the argument for domestic helpers was that they were high risk, but actually, right. when we look at the statistics, and I hope the government will will announce how many cases there have been in foreign domestic helpers, but but what. What I think is that they're not nece not necessarily particularly high risk. The rate that I uh, that I think has been occurring, the rate of infections in healthcare in domestic helpers in Hong Kong is about the same as the rate of infections in the population as a whole. Okay, well, on domestic helpers, let's bring. There's been a lot of controversy over that over the weekend. Uh, several emails coming in from listeners. Let's bring them in, and then we'll go to uh, Dr. Alvin Chan, who's also with us. Um, Colin says the domestic helpers get one day off a week, and what do the government do? get them to queue up in the rain for most of their day off for compulsory testing. You have to wonder what process the government is using to make these decisions. Two infections and you pick on domestic helpers. What about all the other groups? The government should come out and apologise to hardworking domestic helpers. Are the domestic helpers included in the Hong Kong dollar $5,000 scheme? Why do domestic helpers need to get vaccinated to renew work visas? Are the mainlanders moving to Hong Kong required to be vaccinated? One rule for all, do not discriminate. The same for opening of bars and extending of COVID rules. A four-person option, if a four-option plan is announced by the government. A plan that looks like it is totally unworkable and easy to fall foul of. It must have been designed by a group of civil servants sitting in a conference room. With no experience of running a business and I doubt any consultation was done with the catering and bar industry. The government really needs to examine their decision-making process. How many of the 160,000 civil servants have been vaccinated? How many doctors have been vaccinated? The vaccination rollout at best has received a lukewarm reception. The government needs to get the Hong Kong public motivated. Introduce a daily lucky draw. Get the public focused. My family, including free adult children and domestic help, have all been vaccinated. The right people are needed to run these programs with a good decision-making process. Tough times, but don't pick on the weakest. Carl, also referring to the um, testing requirements, says it's discrimination against foreign domestic helpers. There were some white-collar expats getting COVID. The government didn't ask all of them to undergo compulsory tests. One more for the moment. Uh, Matthew saying, while the Hong Kong government is selectively forcing the domestic helper minority group to get tested and vaccinated but not the dancing tie-ties or gym-going bankers who started the prior waves. I was told asylum seekers cannot get vaccinated, even if they want to, because a Hong Kong ID number is required to register, and they don't have one. According to Wikipedia, there were 14,000 asylum seekers in Hong Kong as of 2017. If so, this seems like a typically insane, politically and ideologically motivated approach. Brought to us by the likes of the DAB's delightful Dr. Elizabeth Quatt, who last week described Hong Kong's asylum-seeking community as a malignant cancer. I hope this morning's expert guests or RTHK can clarify if it's possible for asylum seekers to be vaccinated under the government programme or not. Thank you very much. Please keep those emails coming. Uh, now, I think we are joined by uh, Dr. Al Dr. Alvin Chan. Uh, Dr. Alvin Chan, are you there? Yes, good, good morning. Good morning. Um, well, how about, uh, there, there seems to be a lot of bad feeling about this uh, mandatory requirement for domestic helpers to be uh, tested. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have, in fact, uh, empathy and uh, great feelings uh, towards those who are forced to have the testing. Um, I think, in fact, first of all, 
the government could consider, in fact, uh, giving all the um, asylum, asylum seekers also vaccination. I, I think that is not a difficult thing to do, and uh, uh, also that shows that our government had uh, good policies on human rights. And about the human rights, then I think uh, it is quite uh, a policy that had irritated the Philippines and also Indonesia because only their um, nationals coming to Hong Kong to help as domestic workers were required to have the uh, testing, mandatory testing, and then mandatory uh, vaccinations when they change the contract, renew the contracts. So I do have the um, same feeling, in fact. Um, well, to, to, to have some improvement, I guess um, just saying that we are equal and just saying that we have um, good policies on human rights, human rights is not enough. We have to have some action as well then. I, I think, first of all, um, the government could really think if it is feasible to have also the um, employers of the domestic helpers also uh, required to have testing. Uh, having said that, I know that, of course, that means um, the uh, testing capacity needs to be increased uh, a few fold. But, but Dr Chen, testing is buying time. It only buys us time, and the time is only useful, it's very expensive, the time is only useful if we use it for vaccinations. Yes, of course. But of course, uh, but then the motivation for fascination in Hong Kong is too low now, still so low that the, the hesitancy is too serious in Hong Kong. The fascination hesitancy is not moving at all, right. even with the, uh, with the dining bubbles and travel bubbles and all those incentives. You can see that the rate of vaccination had not climbed so, up. In so fact. Uh, uh, so requiring, we have to be very careful. Not reco to very, requiring very the helpers to be vaccinated as well as tested, you say yes, that we could, you could level that down and require testing only and then apply it to the employers. Why not no. level up and require the employers yes, to be vaccinated? Yes. I think yes, Dr. Chen think, has some sympathy with you on that, Mike, don't you? Yes, in fact, uh, we are going to have that to be mentioned. Uh, in fact, I just want to warn the whole Hong Kong community and also the government about the situation in Singapore. I'm not, I'm not mentioning about India. It's too different. Uh, India is a big subcontinent and too many people and too difficult to control. But you see in Singapore... There's only 5.5 million population, and all over a weekend, just a weekend, now they had the mutant variant spreading to the whole community. And the biggest cluster, um, 27 um, people get infected in the Tengkotseng Hospital, including two doctors, two nurses, two cleaners, and um, uh, a dozen uh, patients. So that is not really something that we could um, be relaxed on. So I agree that uh, it seems that we could be complacent for the past few days. There are no local cases. But these two uh, community cases of the mutant variants had been very ominous to me. So we could follow the, uh, the footsteps of Singapore easily. 
So that is not uh, a loving matter because uh, one patient had already died in uh, Singapore uh, in this new outbreak. Already 69 confirmed cases just within two weeks. So I I think uh, it's an explosive, exponential rise of cases in Singapore, you know. And we are going to launch a, a travel bubble with them. So it's, it's just now most likely uh, impossible, I think, um, because they are not going to stop uh, the uh, pandemic uh, new wave so fast. It's, so it's what impossible. I mean is Sorry, it's impossible. You mean we should we should we should um, we should suspend the travel bubble? No, uh, I, I think you need to because uh, it's already said that if there were consecutive five days of five unknown origins, or with the spread, the speed of the uh, infectious spread in Singapore. I don't think um, it's, it's, it's really practicable to have uh, launched the, the, right. the uh, travel bubble on the 26th of May. That's what I think. But of course, I hope they could control it uh, within a week, but uh, it's very difficult. Can we, can we bring Professor Cowling in on that point? Is, is the travel bubble uh, now in, at it's risk? It's cursed, doesn't it, this travel bubble? Uh, ben yeah, it's a shame. Every time the travel bubble comes up within a few days, it bursts. It's really a shame. Um, I, I hope that in Singapore the situation will get under control, and I hope in Hong Kong we're, we're not going to have a, a lot of cases suddenly appear. Uh, but, but I'm worried that it's very difficult to, to think too far ahead with COVID because it can seem quiet, but then... All of a sudden, if you remember back to the third wave and the fourth wave, all of a sudden, cases suddenly appear. Let's think think ahead to the coming week then, Ben Cowling. What should we be looking for and what particularly should uh, cause us to tighten um, um, restrictions again if we see in the coming days? Fingers crossed that we're not going to hear about any more cases in the community of this variant. Um, What I'm worried about is that there's been a super spreading event with tens of people infected. And maybe those, maybe it's too late to pick those cases up. But the second and third generation from those cases maybe will start to appear, especially if there, if there are more and more infections. Um, and then maybe ultimately we'll be able to trace back to figure out where the whole thing uh, kicked off after, after that in, imported case um, that, that left the hotel quarantine and then spread infection into the community. Maybe we'll be able to piece back the transmission chains. Right. But uh, if, if, if we have another week of choir, I, I think maybe we can... We can um, be a little bit comforted. So this week is the danger point. If we get through this week without a sort of explosion of cases, then I you think can so. feel, but with you COVID, feel more... you, you don't know because there could be another introduction this and, week, just the week after, right. um, just like we've seen in the past few weeks. And so you can never really let your guard and, up. And Hong so... Kong users of the bubble have got to be vaccinated. We made that requirement, but we didn't make it reciprocal, did we, for some reason? Well, if Hong Kong's got a low level of cases and Singapore has a low level of cases, then vaccination is not really essential because either way, anyway, there's minimal risk. Um, I, from what I understood, the government in Hong Kong made that a requirement to try to encourage people to get vaccinated so that they could use the, right. the travel bubble. Um, but, but in Singapore, they, they didn't do that. But what Dr Chan was saying about this sudden uh, rush of uh, cases there... Shouldn't we, as a defensive measure, be asking Singapore to consider vaccination at their end as well? Oh, so in Hong Kong, the Hong Kong side, you could make it a requirement that the people have been vaccinated before they come in. Um, but then, it, in my opinion, it's not so much a travel bubble. That could be a policy which, which could be expanded to other parts of the world as well, with yes. low levels of cases. It could be a, a unilateral decision 
that Hong Kong allows in people from low-risk countries without quarantine if they've been vaccinated. Okay, let's try and get in some more uh, message, um, emails from our listeners. A lot of emails coming in. My apologies if I don't get your message, but we'll try our best. Uh, Ron says, in order to get back to a kind of normal uh, normality and protect us from further outbreaks, we can't keep being lenient to people who refuse to get vaccinated now. Based on recent political changes, the government has all the power and can do what is required. Now they can show that such power be put to good use and ensure that we reach herd immunity by vaccination as soon as possible. Protect the citizens by banning unvaccinated people from using public transport, dining in restaurants, uh, entering shopping malls. Only people with an exemption issued by a government physician may use the above facilities without vaccination. Time is up for this childish behavior not to get vaccinated. Like every time the government is reacting too slowly. David says, on domestic helpers, is this a political matter as the Philippines is having a little disagreement with China over the sea? Uh, Tony says, uh, short and simple, vaccination does not stop you from getting the virus. Um, Leslie Leslie Ann says, I suggest it would be a good incentive to only give the $5,000 promised to us this summer to fully vaccinated people. That would certainly, Mike Rouse uh, (laughs) stamping the table there, that would certainly focus attention on getting vaccinated. Um, Rick says it's not, uh, on the domestic helpers uh, testing, it's nothing short of a disgusting racial policy. This government lurches from one ridiculous decision to the next. Why are they more prone to, co- to um, COVID-19 than any of us? Uh, and a longer message uh, from Mike, and maybe one of our guests uh, could uh, comment on this. Uh, Mike says, uh, information I'm about to share is from Dr. Mike Yadon, the former vice president of Pfizer, with 33 years experience in vaccine pharmaceuticals. SARS patients that contracted COVID-1 infection some 17 years ago recently had blood drawn to compare SARS virus with COVID-19. The viruses were more than 80% comparable. What is significant is those patients had a significant amount of immunity to COVID-19. From the earliest samples of COVID-19 2019 through to the variants of 2021, the difference in comparison is less than 0.03%, meaning all variants are 99.93% of the original. The FDA is not demanding any further research on the top-up vaccine, supposedly, for these variants. Their only concern is quality control. Why no further research? Are, as Dr. Yearden suggests, these top-up vaccines absolute nonsense? Or, as he claims, another complete scare tactic from out-of-control, over-controlling governments? Just think about these facts and decide for yourself. Dr. Yearden is signing off his repeated calls to question his industry has put his bioengineering company at great risk. Feel free to comment. And then Mike goes on about his own own qualifications. Um, doc, doc, Dr. Chan, any comments on that, that from our listeners saying that maybe, I think so as far as I can understand, saying maybe we shouldn't worry about these variants so much because uh, they're 99.93% are the same I'm as so the original. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about uh, the views of the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, people are dying in India. People are suffering from uh, oxygen deficiency in India. I think it's not really such a light matter uh, to comment on here. Uh, I, I mean, so likely comment. I, I could not. So because people are really dying in India and it's spreading to many other countries already. And the fear has spread to Singapore. So if you are living in Singapore, I think that is a different matter. 
So, because uh, Singapore had been suffering from so few cases for the past two months already, and all of a sudden, uh, now 69 cases had erupted there, with 27 cases all of a sudden from the 27th of April. Just from 27th of April, there have been 27 cases there with two doctors, two nurses, and uh, two cleaners, and many patients suffering there, and one had died. Uh, we could not say it's too likely that these variants doesn't matter, don't matter. But anyway, I want to uh, supplement what I have said just now about the uh, mandatory testing and uh, uh, vaccination for the domestic helpers. I think if the government could give, uh, uh, ask the employers to give uh, paid day leave for the um, helpers to go for testing and vaccination in the weekdays so that they don't need to go uh, to have a long queue on, on their uh, rest day, their holidays, to have the testing and vaccination. That would be much, much better for all the people. So <clears throat> I think uh, the employers should give a paid day leave to all the um, foreign workers. What I mean is uh, uh, perhaps not just domestic workers. The government could ask all foreign workers and uh, asylum seekers to, to have the vaccination right. as well. What? And for the asylum seekers, of course, they don't have the ID card. They right. need to have special what, what, what about Hong Kong residents returning from anywhere in the world? Yes, they should have testing. In fact, any, uh, how, anybody They should at be the vaccinated. Border, why why testing? Why are, why are we still talking about testing? Testing we buys time. It doesn't to, it solve the problem. We need to have confirmation, tra contact tracing. We need to have the contact tracing because we need to have the border control. You stop any entry at the border control and then you have to mitigate anyone who had entered Hong Kong. OK, we're going to have uh, to... Sorry, we're going to have to we break... To do that. We'll have to break for the news there, but uh, stay, uh, Dr Alvin Chan and Benjamin Cowley are staying with us. We'll be joined by other guests uh, to discuss the current si COVID situation in Hong Kong. Do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Weather forecast, mainly cloudy with a few showers. The maximum temperature will be around 27 degrees. Currently 24 degrees, relative humidity 93%. We'll be back in three minutes. in what we call the authentic wildlife hunting industry that they will indeed be having that authentic experience and they will not be hunting animals that have been taken out of a cage. Manchester United, uh, sorry, you're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. To back chat. I'm Danny Gitting, sitting for Hugh Chiverton, your co-host this morning, Mike Rouse. In the second half of the programme, we're continuing our discussion about the current COVID situation in Hong Kong. Our guest in the second half of the programme, uh, Benjamin Cowlin from the University of Hong Kong, is still with us here, as well as Dr Alvin Chan. And we're also now joined by Dr Dawn Su, the Regional Medical Officer of Asia Pacific at Cigna. If you have any thoughts on the current situation, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you leave a comment on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Uh, let me try and bring in a number of uh, comments from listeners. Uh, firstly, a couple on other topics, then there are plenty on COVID as well. Uh, John referring to uh, Friday's Backchat when we discussed the, the new law that uh, does allow the, uh, um, the government to restrict uh, entry and out of Hong Kong, says, your resident toady Andrew Lung says, it, oh, it's conspiracy theory to look at the government's actions on the immigration bill as an intentional effort to increase its ability to impose arbitrary controls on all movement into and out of Hong Kong. Confronted by an animal that looks like a duck, 
walks like a duck and quacks like a duck. Lung would say, oh, we can't possibly tell what it is. Saying it's a duck is a conspiracy theory. And what about, what about the, what the British did? They did something bad. Oh, but look over there, there's a bunch of dirty brown people lurking. Meanwhile, Hong Kong becomes endowed with all the tools that police and security services need to pursue their corrupt rule by law. Uh, just one on a, more on another topic uh, from Candy. Candy uh, email titled, Stopping Others from Helping a Victim of Hate Crime. Candy says, an international student from China was punched on the face and stabbed by a total stranger at a subway station near his campus in Edmonton, Canada on 24th April. The injured victim asked the conductor to stop the train and none of the passengers offered to help him, he told the local media. I want to get back on the train, but a group of people stopped other passengers saying it's his problem. People stopped me getting on the train and they stopped others from getting off the train. The 38-year-old attack has been charged with aggravated assault. Then Candy says, some truly disgusting value stopping others from helping a victim of hate crime is demonstrated here. But can we rely on your show to shed some light on the plight of Chinese people who are suffering from hate crimes as ethnic minorities overseas? Let me guess, you'll invite a privileged white male colonial era relic to the show to tell us it's all China's fault that white men act like murderous cowards in countries like Canada, pulling out a knife to stab an innocent per person, or it's no big deal, because it's all natural for anyone to have bias against others based on their skin colour or appearance. I bet many listeners are waiting for RTHK's complaints proceeded to be revamped. Uh, thank you very much for that, uh, that email, Candy. Just as a point of information, I should point out, uh, having actually been on these shows myself, uh, that both on Friday the uh, 5th of May and also in early April, I believe that was Friday the 7th of April, Backcheck did have shows um, devoted entirely to this topic of hate crimes against um, uh, Asians um, elsewhere in the world. And we had guests from uh, the Australian Chinese community, the British Chinese community and the American Chinese community on those shows. You, those, I checked those, those shows are still available on the Backchat website if you uh, would like to have a look at them. Okay, uh, back to today's topic. Uh, uh, Jim says, on, it seems that the Hong Kong Centre for Health Protection has the big picture on the uh, med, med, medical protection. Why are these armchair stirrers trying to manage a policy for which they are not qualified? Uh, Laurie says, if the government wants to motivate the people of Hong Kong to get vaccinated, why, why, why can't they incentivize them by reducing quarantine and quarantine times and bringing home quarantine back for those who are fully vaccinated? If they do this, I can guarantee a huge uptake in vaccinations. I've spoken to so many people who said they should, why should they bother getting vaccinated as those who've been vaccinated still have no benefits at all, at all for travel. People can't afford both mentally and monetarily to stay for three weeks in a hotel. Uh, and James says, will we ever reach the 70% inoculation rate deemed necessary to enable us to return to formal normality? Not as long as this out-of-touch, inept administration follows its present path. May I be so bold or naive to suggest ways of ensuring this level is met? Add a caveat to civil service contracts, including medical workers, stating that they must be vaccinated. Vaccination made mandatory, as is mask wearing. Make food coupons conditional on vaccination. All people dealing with the public must be inoculated. Don't hold your breath. Um, 
and uh, Mike uh, responding to um, Dr. Alvin Chan's uh, earlier comments about his own email says, does Dr. Chan know the difference between emotional anecdotal evidence and scientific research, uh, scientific evidence? He's dealing in anecdotal, uh, completely worthless. Um, and oh, answer, please answer the question. And finally, for the moment, uh, David saying, why is it in August the government are stopping the Pfizer, um, the Pfizer vaccine, uh, BioNTech vaccine in clinics? That doesn't seem right. Is China interfering as many business travelers need this one to go to Europe? OK, um, good morning. Uh, Dr. Dawn Su now joins us, a regional medical officer for a Asia Pacific at Signa. And Signa has been doing some research into uh, vaccine uptakes. Uh, uh, good morning, Dr. Su. Well, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Now, now, from what I understand of your research, you, you found that there's more hesitancy over, over vaccines for COVID than there is over other types of vaccines. Yeah, so, so from the research we've done, um, we've found that the majority of respondents um, are obviously concerned about the side effects of the vaccine, uh, which is understandable given that the COVID vaccine compared to the other more established vaccine was developed over a very short period of time. And I guess if you're a layperson and you follow the news very closely, the last couple of months we've just seen reports of severe side effects dominate headlines. And people tend to place a disproportionate amount of attention on these incidents when they're actually extremely rare, um, especially when you compare it to the rate of severe illness from the COVID infection itself. Right. I think there is also a sense that people feel like they just simply don't know enough about the vaccine. And when they see reports of infection in people who have been vaccinated, it raises doubt about the efficacy, um, even though the vaccines were originally designed to prevent severe infection and reduce transmission rather than to prevent it completely. Right. And I think this has perhaps not been communicated sufficiently to the general public. That's a very important point, Dr. So how can the government put these statistics in proper context so that people are getting a more balanced view? Yeah, so I think, I think governments around the world are trying to put across targeted messaging um, and campaigns with accurate information and directing the public to sources uh, where they can get the right information about vaccines. I think the problem, though, and it's not unique to Hong Kong, is simply that today we are free to get our information from wherever we wish. And it's difficult for the average person to understand which sites are credible and which aren't. And with the lockdowns and the longer amount of time you kind of spend on your phone or in front of the computers, people get obsessed with uh, all the information and the statistics that come up, um, right. and they draw their own conclusions from it. But so perhaps I would say, yeah. Countries like Israel, what is well over 50% fully vaccinated? The U even the USA, despite the Republican backwoodsman, <laughs> is 25% uh, and rising, and, and that's both, both vaccinations, not not just the one. Whereas here in Hong Kong, we're, what, 6% for, for two shots and barely into double figures for, for one shot? We, we're just so far behind other advanced uh, communities. Yeah, I hear you. I, I, I think, though, um, Asia, having done a good job with managing community transmission, is now realizing that that is a double-edged sword, right? Uh, because we've never had that kind of situation in Israel and the U.S. where COVID was rampant and we know of friends and family who have either contracted or died from it, the threat somehow doesn't feel quite real and people feel like they have the luxury of time to wait and see. 
Um, there is also a sense that we have plenty of vaccines here. So if and when I choose to take the vaccine, it will be available. And that's not quite the same in the other regions, which is why I think over there, there is perhaps a greater motivation to take it sooner rather than later uh, compared to, to, to Asia and in Hong Kong in particular. Let's go back to uh, Ben Cowling on uh, vaccination and the vaccination rate, because Ben Cowling, when you've been on this program before, you basically said Hong Kong is never going to reach herd immunity because uh, the Sinovac vaccine is only 50 percent effective or maybe slightly more than that. But uh, um, when you take you when you count in the efficiency rate of these for these vaccines is just impossible. Right. But when you look at the government messaging on, on vaccination, the slogan is get vaccinated to protect yourself and others. That's the, the people around you. The BioNTech vaccine is excellent at doing that. As so, someone who receives two doses of BioNTech will protect themselves and the people around them from infection because they themselves can't be infected and pass on the infection in, in most cases. It's highly effective. The sign of a vaccine is relatively less effective uh, at preventing mild infection and then presumably less effective at preventing onwards transmission. So what that means as a consequence, if we use mostly BioNTech and a little bit of Sinovac, we could probably get to herd immunity 70% plus coverage. But if we use a mix of both, it's more likely that we'll have to get almost everybody vaccinated and then everybody will benefit from their own uh, vaccination. So right. the slogan could be get vaccinated to protect yourself because it's every person for themselves because we may see COVID continuing to circulate uh, with, with majority mild infections in vaccinated people right. and unvaccinated people will still be at risk. Should we be buying more BioNTech? Because I think we had 75 million shots but well the, actually the first thing we could do is is to use all the the biotech in the vials uh, other countries have figured out that you can get the last drops out of the vial you can right. make six doses from each instead of five so that could be nine million doses instead of 7.5 million that's plenty already yes sure we could we could look to order more or to get moderna as well but i i think for now making the most of what we got would be a great idea Okay, let's bring in some uh, comments, uh, some actually questions from our listeners. And uh, Dr. Alvin Chan, if, you, if you'd like to respond to any of these questions. Um, uh, John says, are there instances in the past in which a newly formulated vaccine was taken up by people and a few years later had ba bad side effects started to appear? Is this something that also plays into the minds of people who don't want to get any vaccine for COVID, irrespective of who made it? And um, Leslie says, questions for the panel. My husband, my foreign domestic helper and I have had both shots and are well clear of the two-week after period. Why, if we visit the UK, are we prevented from returning to Hong Kong? And why do we have to quarantine for three weeks in addition to spending three weeks in another country? Uh, Dr Chan, your thoughts? Yes. <clears throat> First of all, um, I would like to say that um, there are many, many scientific papers that have shown that the variants could evade the testing even, and uh, they could be more virulent and could be more deadly. And so now we have to face the new scenario of the mutants coming to Hong Kong, and if there were super spreaders, we would follow the footsteps of uh, Singapore. And so um, in Singapore, there are a few cases among the 59 cases that uh, they had already got um, infected by the uh, COVID-19 uh, last year, but then now they get reinfected. So that's why we said that we could not be over complacent. I totally agree with Ben Cowling just now that um, 
Well, having the vaccination is quite safe, given the example of uh, Israel and also UK. They had already succeeded a lot after vaccination success. All right, but then there was still some breakthrough um, because of the mutant variants. That is. Um, from the scientific papers and also from the real-time research from these two countries. So um, that's why I think we could not take lightly that, um, well, after vaccination, there must be no risk. Uh, of course, as uh, just now Professor Towling has said, the risk might be much less, all right, but still it's not a zero risk because the vaccination doesn't, uh, protect you from infection. They are successful in protecting you from serious infection, right. protecting us from hospitalization. But there could be asymptomatic or mild infection after vaccination. But Dr. So Chan, that, if, if there's no advantage to the individual in being vaccinated other than there's this... There's not no advantage. I, well, I agree right. with you, but this is the perception. Not no advantage, that it's You've still got to have three weeks in a hotel if you come back, even if you've been vaccinated. People are going to say, why bother? Yes. Uh, even you have this incentive. Just now our audience had mentioned, she doubted it from the beginning. What if the executive decided to two years later after the vaccination? She still doubted it. And even with this incentive, people still doubt it. You know, there are people who are still doubting about the vaccination. But then, um, of course, we could try our best to decrease the inconvenience uh, people are having. But mind you, I have twice daily communication with the police and the Singapore Medical Association. We are knowing what's happening in Singapore. There are cases that... Um, they have the quarantine period of two weeks as well in Singapore. And they got positive only after five days finishing the quarantine period. And within the five days, that patient has spread the diseases from many places he have visited, just like our friend from Dubai uh, two weeks ago. I, well, after the quarantine period, he got positive. And he went to so many places that he spread the disease, that he, he could spread the disease. So sometimes these could be the loopholes that could allow super spreader to, to spread it. So from the uh, control aspect, we need to be careful. But we need to balance. So as Professor Karen said, the risk is much less after vaccination, but it's not zero. So how to balance it? So that is the art of the implementation of the policies. I, I, I agree there should be more incentives. And that's why, uh, say, for example, I totally agree with you. If there is travel bubble, it must be reciprocal. Uh, if the uh, Singapore um, people were not required to get vaccination from the Singapore from the beginning of their uh, policies uh, design, then we have to ask Singapore also to have their participants to vaccinate the people coming to Hong Kong. So, um, but if you say that because Singapore don't need to vaccinate their passengers coming to Hong Kong, then we also don't need our passengers vaccinated in Hong Kong before going to Singapore. Would you agree with that? But uh, I don't think no. uh, we would agree with that.
Okay, let, let's bring in some more, more comments from our listeners. Uh, Ilango says the government should change the COVID-19 strategy. Instead of trying to evade the virus to achieve zero infections for a short time, the government should accept how the virus works and move towards permanent solutions with the vaccines. Let's not waste the resources towards zero virus anymore. Let's get vaccinated. Uh, we'll bring in the rest of the emails later. Let's go to uh, uh, James Robertson, uh, the owner of uh, restaurant chain Grappers and Cadillac, who joins us. Uh, uh, good morning, Mr. Robertson. Is James Robertson there? Yeah, I'm here. Yes. OK, now the, the government in, in relaxed arrangements for uh, restaurants and in theory, restaurants can now operate these B, C, D zones and the zones can stay open till various um, times up till 2 a.m. In fact, uh, the D zone, but depending on whether staff and um, and uh, and and customers have been vaccinated. But there's been a very low take up so far. Um, what's been your experience as a restaurant owner? Have you been running these C and D zones? Uh, yes, yes, of course. So um, the government makes it's as easy as uh, ABC. It's an old expression, but unfortunately, the government added a D, and that stands for confusion. I'm getting a bit of ring back in the, the phone, but anyway, obviously the A through ABCD, 6 p.m., 10 p.m., midnight, 2 a.m., and uh, maximum capacity 50, 50, 50, 75, and so. For A and B, if you A, you have to close at 6 p.m., you have no requirement for staff vaccination and no requirement for staff testing. So I guess the people that go to the Zhajiang Tang to the coffee shops close by 6 o'clock, they don't have to worry about the virus and the staff. And, of course, the same thing every 14 days on the B, which we have Bs, you have to have testing. And then on C, they have to have one... One initial vaccine for all staff members and or a medical note. And on D, of course, they have to have two vaccines and uh, or medical note and 14 days. I mean, this is total confusion. Nobody knows what's going on. Uh, JR, is it just too complicated? Sorry? Is it just too complicated? Well, it's so confusing. And I I can tell you... uh, I, I experience over in TST, we have a couple places in TST, and everybody, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they're all staying open till midnight. I'm a B. I, all my staff have been unable to get all my staff to take the vaccine. I've got 30, 30 local cooks that refuse to take the vaccine. What can I do? I can fire them? No, I'm told that the Equal Opportunities Commission will go after us if we fire them. Nothing I can do. So we posted as a B. But these other guys are all open. And I know for a fact that one there was one particular competitor nearby. 11 o'clock Friday night, the police came in and checked all of the, uh, the staff that were working there to see if they had vaccine. Well, of course, yes, they did have vaccine. But that's not what the rules say. The rules say all staff employed by the restaurant have to have the vaccine. Not that you sent your staff home at 9.30 before 10. And so now only staff that have the vaccine are working. Sorry, that doesn't work. But even the police were confused. They didn't find them. They didn't say anything. They didn't do anything to them. And they remain open again the next day, the next night. So obviously the police are confused as well. I mean, the government just has made a mess of this whole thing. And it's just almost impossible to comply if, if the staff won't cooperate. Why don't I don't we, know why. Why don't, don't we make it a rule, uh, if I you don't want, know why if you our want... industry, the catering industry, is the whipping boy. I mean, certainly, uh, have all the government staff been vaccinated? Department stores, 
supermarkets, wet market stalls where everybody goes, banks. I was in the bank last Friday, this past Friday, signing some documents, and the bank officer said, oh, no, I'm not going to get the vaccine. Why is it the catering industry is, is, is getting beat up so badly? This should be across the board. And just as other people were commenting about the maids having to be uh, forced to test and or eventually get the, the vaccine. I agree. This is total confusion. I, I agree with you. Why not across the board? Why not? Yeah, why not? If, if you want a restaurant license, your staff have to be vaccinated. So if you're a chef or a waiter, that's it, guys. You get vaccinated or you go and do something else. I think you did agree in your column in the South Time Morning Post that there would be legal implications for some of the proposals you're making, Mike. Fight, fight, deal with them. <laughs> OK, well, let's bring in some more comments from listeners, and then perhaps we'll go back to uh, Professor Ben Cowling. A uh, uh, debate between uh, Mike and other listeners. Uh, Mike says, how can people still be saying the vaccine does not provide protection? Please objectively... Sorry, this is another Mike. Please objectively look at the numbers in Israel and the UK. It's absolutely clear, and Hong Kong needs carrots rather than the convoluted sticks currently being used to mandate the vaccine. Uh, Mark, on a topic that uh, has got a lot of commentary this morning on domestic, uh, testing of foreign domestic helpers, said if the government is going to the effort to test this part of the population, why not just vaccinate this group directly? And shows a photo from Victoria Park yesterday of foreign domestic helpers lining up for testing. Uh, Gabriel says, why aren't testing or vaccination required for all civil servants if testing and vaccination is required for domestic workers? This is simply discriminatory. Domestic workers were simply chosen because they are powerless. And John, responding to the other listener, Mike, who'd um, e emailed in, in a number of times, says, Mike, are you serious? You're talking about balanced news as a single voice and you are one of those. Freedom of choice, freedom of expression. Perhaps you forgot this. Um, and on uh, Facebook, TC says, I remember not long, very long ago, a regular commentator of Backchat criticised my usage of Wuhan pneumonia as racist. How come I don't see the same criticism when the term South African mutant was used on the intro? Also, why isn't the Equal Opportunities Commission handling this problem? More importantly, how come nobody, especially these critics, is complaining about uh, the idea of forcing all foreign domestic helpers to get tested and even vaccinated? I second the view of Carl that this is discriminatory. Of course, we had a lot of messages from a listener saying that this morning. Uh, ben Cowlin, um, on the issue of the mutant, I better not refer to it by uh, where it, where it uh, came from now. Um, on the issue of the mutant, I think a lot of people is going to be concerning people is the evidence that it, it can evade the Pfizer vaccine, right? That um, we've uh, people have had this vaccine in Hong Kong and now this mutant strain is arriving, which there's some evidence um, is, is highly resistant to the vaccine. You, you've got to be clear what's meant by evasion. So firstly, the, the BioNTech vaccine is excellent at protecting against severe disease. Um, so someone who's got the BioNTech vaccine is very, very, very unlikely to get severe disease, even if they were to get infected. And actually, it's also very, very good at protecting against infection, even mild infection, even asymptomatic infection, 90% plus effective. The issue with the, the South African variant is that it can sometimes cause mild infection, so breakthrough mild infections. Maybe the effectiveness drops below 90%, maybe it's 80% plus. Um, but as far as we understand, it's still highly, highly effective against severe disease or death. So in Hong Kong, if we're primarily using vaccines to protect people against severe disease from COVID, then it's fine. Nothing to worry about. Um, but yes, the, the, the South African variant could spread a little bit more easily, even in a vaccinated population, uh, than the, the original type of virus. 
that may also happen in the future. And so before the break, you had a, a comment from Mike asking about what was the point of testing for vaccines against the variant, maybe the, the version two or version three of these vaccines. I think we're just looking ahead. Maybe we won't need those booster shots. Maybe we will. Maybe in a year's time, people who receive a vaccine now could get a booster against whatever variant comes up in, in the next 12 months. And it may not be the South Africa one. It may be another one in the future that, that evades even to a greater extent. So I, I'm not too worried about the South Africa variant because in vaccinated people, it'll still be fine. They'll still be fine. But transmissions may still occur. So everybody should get vaccinated to protect themselves. OK, and let's return to where we started this show, because the really is the issue of the moment. Um, you, you're saying that you, you were saying that this coming week really perhaps will be the absolutely critical time in terms of telling w whether this mutant has been uh, spreading silently in the community here. And that if we can get through this week, then perhaps we can feel at least the, the, the immediate crisis is over. Is that right? Right, because of the fits and spurts, because either there's been a very, very small number of cases or there's been a super spreading event. Uh, and if that's the case, we should find out about it pretty soon. Uh, fingers crossed that there hasn't been much transmission, actually. And if uh, if we go into the, the worst case scenario, fingers crossed that won't happen, then presumably we need to look at tightening um, restrictions. Some of the restrictions that's have just been eased. Some of the social distancing measures will be back, and I think there'll be an uptick in people looking to go and get vaccinated as well. You think some of the social distancing measures will be back? They'll, they'll have to be back, yeah. If, if we find that there's a lot of cases in the community suddenly, then we know from the past year that, that we can't, control it with just face mask and just the test and trace and quarantine we need some social distancing as well on the other hand if we can get through this week without an uptick in cases then we could perhaps be more confident you don't need to bring those measures back in right for, for a little while anyway sooner or later we will have a fifth wave sooner or later but uh, hopefully it can be later there's a ben there's a very clear message there which you're delivering and dr chan is delivering people have got to get vaccinated right we won't be able to get back to normal until we get vaccinated so uh, we, we can continue to be cautious. We can continue to have the, the on-arrival quarantines and all the other things, the mass testing. Uh, we could do that for years. We could become a hermit kingdom, uh, not let anyone in or out um, and have these intermittent lockdowns. But I'd much rather Hong Kong goes back to normal by the end of this year. That's depending, though, on high vaccine coverage. So it's, it's up to the government to figure out how to achieve that, whether with more carrots or more sticks. I would prefer more carrots. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. That was uh, Benjamin Cowling, the Head of Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health, University of Hong Kong. Thank you very much indeed to our other guest, uh, Dr. Alvin Chan, the Co-Chair of the Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases at the Hong Kong Medical Association, and also Dr. Dawn Su, a Regional Medical Officer at Asia Pacific at Cigna, and James Robertson, owner of restaurant chain Grappers and Cadillac. Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, Hugh will be right. back tomorrow. Uh, the good stuff, isn't it? <laughs> The weather forecast, uh, mainly cloudy with a few showers. Maximum temperature will be around 27 degrees. Currently 24 degrees. Relative humidity, 91%. Let your ideas shine. If you are between 18 and 35 and have bright ideas, through the Member Self-Recommendation Scheme for Youth, you can self-nominate to join government advisory committees to share your views on different policy areas. Let's work together and move Hong Kong forward with bright new ideas. Member's Self-Recommendation Scheme for Youth. Enroll in the scheme by May 26th. Learn more now at hab.gov.hk. The News with Samantha Butler. 
A doctor from the Medical Association has described as very ominous the discovery of two local cases of a mutant strain of coronavirus. Dr Alvin Chan said Hong Kong had been too complacent in the fight against the virus and risks following the example of Singapore, which saw an exponential rise in infections over the weekend involving a more infectious strain. He told RTHK it was most likely impossible a travel bubble between the two cities would start on May the 26th. The U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says China has recently acted more aggressively abroad and was behaving increasingly in adversarial ways. Asked by CBS News if Washington was heading towards a military confrontation with Beijing, he said it was profoundly against the interests of both China and the United States to get to that point. And Italy has revealed plans to build a new floor in the Colosseum at the heart of Rome. The Roman arena is one of the world's most popular tourist attractions. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Design. Great interpreter of Beethoven. And by oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council. Co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decipher what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you. Welcome to Monday and a new month here on The Morning Brew. I'm Phil Whelan. It's rugby time after 10, of course, with Robbie McRobbie. Tracy Kwan with us at 10.40 with her weekly news live from the Big Apple. After 12, we're off to Ho Chi Minh City where the Covid goalposts have moved much closer Past weekend, the place was like a ghost town with authorities upping their response significantly and that, of course, is where our bureau chief at large, Neil Runciman, resides. He'll tell us what's cooking. Yeah, I 